mentioned before, our vision says locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. We have a missionary with us today, and I, I, Jason and I were talking as, as to when I first was introduced to him, and I believe it was sometime during the transition of his life when he was leaving high school and, and, and going to college, and we knew that there was a call of God upon his life, and unfortunately today you're not going to find out, but he's tremendously musically talented and, and has been a worship leader as God has guided his life, and he's going to share with you what's going on in the life of, of he and his wife, but you also need to know that there's a connection to us as a church because he's, he's Pastor Julie and Joel Durst's cousin. Now, please don't hold that against him when, when you consider the support that we're going to give to him. But I just wanted you to know that he comes from good stock. And we've already heard him this morning speak, and you are in for a joy. It's gonna, you're going to be challenged. And you're going to love what he has to say. Would you please join me in welcoming Jason Fisher as he comes to minister to us this morning. Well, thank you, Pastor Doug. Thank you, Grace family, for having us here today. And uh, I'm just so grateful to be with you, to be able to share the word and share our journey. Um, we are the Fisher family, and there's a picture coming up. My wife is Sheila. My daughter is Grace, and so she loves the name of your church. As we've, as we've traveled and we hit a few different Grace churches or Grace assemblies, she's always really excited about that. They're watching from home today, and so I love you, Grace, and, uh, and Sheila, and of course, all my family. Whether you're in the room or watching online, uh, it's good to be with you. And I'm also grateful that we are all part of the family of God, so I feel a connection with all of you, even though uh, I may not even have known you yet. So we are called to be missionaries to England. And whenever I say we're going to England, I get some raised eyebrows. Uh, I get people wondering, do we really need to send missionaries to England? I didn't know there were missionaries to England. Um, and I can say with you, that's exactly where I was about two years ago. <laughs> um, we, we have not been there full time yet. This is our first time transitioning to the mission field. Uh, as uh, Pastor Doug mentioned, we have been worship pastors in the States for over, over a decade. Uh, some of that was in Ohio. Most of that time has been in St. Louis, Missouri. And in 2018, we began feeling God stirring something new in us, but we didn't really know what that was. And so I just asked Sheila one day, you know, if we could pastor anywhere other than St. Louis, where would you want to pastor? And she said, without hesitation, England. Now, I didn't think I had to limit the options to the continental U.S. when I said, where do you want to pastor? Um, but I had known enough in about 10 years of marriage at that point to not make fun of her immediately for what she said. And so I said the classic, okay, well, I'll pray about that. And, and as I did pray about it, I did pray about it seriously, and I really felt God speak to me very clearly and say that I had to get over the fact that he told her first. And so that began a journey of, of this, this burden growing in our hearts for England, but we really didn't know anything about how ministry would work there, what the needs were. Uh, and so after a few months of this, we, can't really get a, we couldn't get away from the thought um, I, we got a hold of a missionary who's over other missionaries in that part of the world. We call them area directors in our organization. And his name was Tim. And I, I said on the phone, you know, I think we're called maybe to part to your part of the world, but I don't really know how this works or what the need is. And he said, well, where exactly do you feel called to? And I said, England, we think. And he laughed on the phone at me. And so I thought, well, this is going well. Um, and, but what he, the reason he explained his laughter was 
they had just had a visa breakthrough for getting more workers into the United Kingdom. And that week, after they got the good news, they were praying as a leadership team, now, God, please send us more workers to England. And then I called him. That was why he laughed. And I, as a side note, if any of you are going through a time of transition in your life, so often we, we process the entire transition like it's about us. But your transition may be about someone else's prayers. You may be an answer to someone else's prayers. So just maybe just lift your eyes a little bit and see the whole picture. It may be more than just about you. That was something we had to learn in this process. So in that conversation, Tim shared with us the the need there. He said, we've basically lost an entire generation of both people in the pews and people in the pulpits in England. He personally knew pastors that were in their 90s that could not retire because there was no one to replace them. And he just painted this picture of, of, of a church that needed revitalized. And he said, you're exactly who we need. You're, you have a pastoral experience, and you can help us train ministers. And, uh, and also, you're not getting ready to retire age-wise, so we can get a lot of good years out of you. And so he basically told us like, pretty much this clearly, yes, you're called to England. Yes, you need to resign your church. And yes, you need to come. So, uh, so there's that. And so we, we felt God in the conversation, but then it got really real, because now it's the point of, okay, are we going to, uh, you know, tell my family especially, but both our families, but in my, on my side of the family, that beautiful girl is the only grandchild. Are we really going to tell our families that we're going to go across an ocean? Are we really going to do this? Is this really what God wants us to do? We loved our church in St. Louis. We loved our, our pastor we worked for. This was not a, a, a transition because we, we weren't happy. And... Uh, so we went home that night, we put Grace to bed, and we were very kind of melancholy about the whole thing. And so we did what, what, you, need, what you do when you need to hear from the Lord. We turned on the TV. <laughs> now, I don't actually recommend that, but that's what we did. The missionary had mentioned possibly sending us to the city of Bristol, and we didn't know anything about that area, so we turned on one of our favorite shows called Escape to the Country. It's a BBC show. Uh, it's like house hunters. People are finding new homes. And we found it on YouTube, and we looked up an episode around Somerset County, which is the area where Bristol is. And it just happened to be an episode about a retired Baptist minister moving to this part of England. We didn't choose that part. We just chose the geography. And this retired Baptist minister loved his new home. They found a new home for him and everything. And they came back three years later, and they said, "Uh, how's this transition going for you? And everything was great. And they said, how's your retirement going specifically? And he said, well, that's the only thing that's not going well. I preach in six churches every week of different denominations because there's, no, there's not enough pastors here. And that was the exact night that we had just heard the same thing from the missionary, and this was on the BBC, okay? This is not like some missionary show we were watching. Um, he also said, we believe God's called us here, and we know we're exactly where we need to be. So we knew God was calling us as well, we, uh, but we threw pillows at the TV, literally. Uh, maybe that's why they're called throw pillows, I don't know. We... <laughs> It, it was, we, but we knew God was calling us. That was a Tuesday. On Wednesday night at a prayer meeting that we had in our church, God confirmed the call through an, a prophetic thing, which I won't go into now. And then on Thursday, we applied to be missionaries. That was in May of 2018. By June of 2019, we uh, were appointed as missionaries, and we left our church, and we've spent the rest of the time between then and now raising our budget, raising prayer partners like you to, uh, to help us go and to support us uh, with prayers as, as, as we go. Uh, we're about 77%, 76-77% of our monthly budget is raised, which is really exciting. Uh, we are hoping and praying that uh, both finances and COVID will allow a transition sometime late spring of this year. Maybe May is kind of our target date. 
Um, so please be in prayer for us that we can, we can go. Um, and so in September of 2019, we actually did go over and met the missionaries we're going to work with, spent some time in Bristol, and we took some pictures. So can I show some pictures to you? There has to be a missionary slideshow, right? I'm not even there yet, and I have a slideshow. Okay, uh, go to the next slide. This is a beautiful cathedral, uh, St. Mary Radcliffe Cathedral in Bristol. Um, and when we think of the church in England, we think of this, right? Uh, yes, the, these cathedrals do exist. They're beautiful. Um, and, but how many know that, that the, the church is not a building? The church is people. But a church building can tell the story of a church body. I think we could say that's true, uh, the history of it and everything. The problem is that these buildings are telling a church history that's 700 years old. Uh, there are bodies of believers that meet in these buildings, but it's never as grand as the building would suggest. They're basically funded by the gift shop and the tours that they give. And then you go to the next size building down from these cathedrals, and you get churches like this. Uh, the one on the left is for sale. That's a little blue sign. The one on the right has been sold all over the country. These churches uh, are sold because there's no people left to meet in them. And they become uh, pubs. They become mosques. They become coffee shops. They become whatever will take, take the space. The one on the right is now the Hindu temple of Bristol. And I'm all for freedom of religion. That's their right to worship as they please. But as, uh, as a believer, my heart is grieved that a sanctuary that once hosted worship of our Lord and Savior now has literal idols raised up in it to worship other gods because the body of believers that once met there died. And so that's why we are called to make disciples who make disciples and plant healthy churches that plant healthy churches. Uh, it can't just be about us. We can go fill one pulpit, but that's not enough. We need to be part of a church planning and discipleship movement that reverses the tide and plants churches where these places once were. The, the missionaries we worked with in Bristol, we talked to them this week. Two churches, since COVID has started in their neighborhood, two churches have shut down completely. Um, not, you know, not just online only, like they just couldn't survive COVID and they're done. So they're kind of the only church in their neighborhood now. Um, and this is just kind of the trends as, as we see them. So Assemblies of God USA... Is helping our sister churches in the Assemblies of God of Great Britain uh, by sending some workers over there. So if the next slide is a chart. You may not know this, but the UK is actually four different countries, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. Within the colored blocks, you see the population of each of those countries, uh, 2 million, 3 million, 5 million, 56 million. I saw on your missions wall, I snuck a peek, you have uh, the Hooks, I believe, are in Scotland. You have another missionary, I forget their names, that are in Northern Ireland. So you, you're already supporting some of these. But in the black, you see the number of units, missionary units in each one, and there's only one in England for 56 million people. What's great about that number is that when we arrive, we get to double the number of missionaries in England uh, immediately upon arrival. So that's very exciting. And uh, we are going to help the Parks family who are in Bristol to start, as they, and they'll help us get settled and figure out how to live and how to say quid instead of buck and those various things. And um, and we'll, we'll learn from them. And then near Bristol is the city of Bath. For the moment, our assignment is to kind of do some research and to see if we feel that a church plant in Bath would be something God would have us to do. There is no AG church there. Um, it's a university town. Um, and so we're just going to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. We don't have exact plans that this is exactly what we're going to do, but we know we're going to make disciples that make disciples and plant healthy churches that plant healthy churches. And the exact geography is up to him, and I trust him to let us know exactly how that'll work out. So that's kind of our story and brings you up to the present. But I do want to share a word with you that I believe God's put on my heart 
uh, for the church in America, and it also kind of uh, gives context with the church in England and where we're at globally. And, and that's this. I want to talk to you about engaging in God's mission. You know, it's not enough that the, the, the missionary, quote-unquote, the one that has the career as a missionary, engages in God's mission. It's something that the entire body of believers, the entire body of Christ needs to be engaged in, or we're not going to win this world for Jesus. And God's mission is to restore humanity with himself. That's what he's been trying to do since the garden. After sin happened, he's been trying to restore humanity's relationship with himself. That's his mission. And when we look at Jesus, we, we celebrate, we just celebrated Christmas where we think and we meditate and we celebrate his incarnation, which was him coming to earth. In some ways, the first missionary, we can think of it that way. And that's great. We should think about that every year and, 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 and you know, enjoy all the truths about that subject. And then in a few months, we'll look at Easter where we will think and we'll meditate on and we'll worship him for and thank him for his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. We will celebrate. And that's great. And we should think about that. But one main point of Jesus's life that I don't think we think about all that often is his ascension, which happened 40 days after his resurrection, where he, he taught, he, gave, he appeared to his disciples, he gave the Great Commission, and then he left. He rose to heaven. And here's the main point, I believe, of the ascension, at least as, as, as I believe God told me it. This is the main point. Jesus isn't here. You are. I'll say it again. The main point of the ascension is Jesus is no longer here. You are. Now, I didn't say God isn't here. Jesus left so that he could send the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who empowers us. So God's plenty present with us. Okay, I'm not saying he's not here. But Jesus is not here. We are. And so, you know, so what, what, how does God move on earth nowadays? You know what? I'm a little thirsty. Could you, Pastor Doug, could you grab me that water? Thank you so much. Now, that was actually an illustration. Ready for this? I needed something. So I asked, and Pastor Doug's head told what to move. His, his feet, his hands, his body. The only way he, he could respond to my request was by moving his body. See where I'm headed? We pray, we seek God, please God, move in our nation. What's he going to move? He's going to move his body. And that's us, which is why it's so important that we are all engaged in God's mission. If it's just the pastors and the missionaries, it's just like there's one hand moving and the rest of the body is, is limp and useless. And that's not enough if we're going to be effective. And so how do we engage? What's, what is the... Thank you, I did need the water. Um, how do we engage? What are the things that we do to engage in God's mission? And simply the, the activities that make up being engaged is praying, giving, and going. There's probably more, but those are the main three. You can kind of put it under those categories. Praying, it's so important that we pray. We cannot unlock someone's heart. The Holy Spirit does that, and by praying, we engage with the Holy Spirit in the spiritual warfare and the activity going on to bring the kingdom to earth. We have to be praying. Uh, so that's one major part of it. Giving is a major part of it because uh, we are able to fund people that can be places that we cannot be. You know, you may not have skills to help uh, a pregnancy care center in, in this area, but with, through your funds, you can uh, be assured that there are, are, are women that are seeing, hearing heartbeats, right? That's a way, giving is so important because it allows us to be involved in more places than we could otherwise. You know, one cool thing about giving and, and about money itself is that money really is a quantification of our labor. 
And that may sound like a weird way of saying it. My point is, you got a wage for work you did. That's how you got the money. Or if you, you, know, you got the money from your spouse's job or from your parents' job, if you got an inheritance, their labor. Or even if you invested it in the stock market and got a return, you're getting it, that investment is growing because of the predicted future labor of that company. <laughs> Does that make sense? So money is a quantification of our labor. Well, the Lord's, Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest field. And of course, we need laborers, but you get to send your labor with them when you give. It's pretty cool. So you, make, you may make widgets or sell insurance or I don't know what you do, and you may be frustrated that, oh, I feel like what I'm doing isn't affecting the kingdom. Well, first of all, your coworkers, you have a sphere of influence where you are. You can directly affect the kingdom there. But also, your, your labor can be turned into, through your giving, kingdom labor. It's pretty amazing <laughs> that you get to do that. So that's why giving is so important. And finally, going. I don't necessarily mean going overseas, although it might be part of it. I just mean going across the street to your neighbor. I mean going uh, and serving in your church. I mean you yourself are involved in bringing the mission of God, the kingdom of God to earth, through your own words, through your actions, through serving, through sharing the gospel, those kinds of things. So praying and giving and going, that's how we engage in God's mission. So the next question we would ask is, well, where do we engage? If I'm supposed to be engaged in these ways, how, where do I engage? And Jesus answered that right before he ascended, and he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was in Acts 1.8. Now, when I heard this so many times, I've heard preach, this message preached, I always thought of it as geographic circles, your hometown, your region, the world, and I believe that is true. But Jesus snuck something in there when he said Judea and Samaria, because you see, Samaria was the place that everyone that he was talking to, none of them wanted to go there, because they were Jews, and the Samaritans lived in Samaria. You know, when he had the parable of the Good Samaritan, that whole point of that parable was to really tweak the religious leaders and others into saying, you know, the hero, the hero of this story is a Samaritan. Can you believe it? And he's saying, if the Holy Spirit's on you, you're not just going to go to geographic distances, you're going to go to cultural distances, to people that you wouldn't naturally like, people that naturally are unlike you. So if you think of it this way, I, I, I like charts. I don't know if anyone else likes charts. Um, but you can think of this graph where there's an axis that's uh, geographic distance and there's another axis that's cultural distance. And so if you fill those spots in, you have these kind of four quadrants. The top right would be um, for people that are far away geographically and they're unlike me. And this is kind of the classic missions quadrant. These are most likely the last time you had a missionary speak here, they were telling you of a place very far away and very unlike you. Different language, different culture, um, different, uh, just different way of life, different socioeconomic status. And yes, that is missions. And we need more people to go to the hard places that have never heard the gospel. There's so many places like that. But the question is, is that all that missions is? Well, no, not, not according to Jesus. The, you have this next quadrant, which is close geographically, but people that are unlike me, people that you maybe naturally wouldn't get along with, people that maybe are a different race, people that are a different culture, people that have a different socioeconomic status than you, people that if the Holy Spirit wasn't empowering you, you probably wouldn't bother naturally speaking. 
If the Holy Spirit's on us, he's going to lead us to people that we are naturally maybe wouldn't like or people that we naturally wouldn't get along with. And if we aren't engaging with those people, then my question is, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? Can I be that bold and ask? If we need the Holy Spirit to help us to reach these people, which is why we, the promise was there, so that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. Then we get to the next quadrant, close people that are like me. And most likely you, get, you breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief saying, this is like the easy, this is the low-hanging fruit. I already know these people. I get along with them. I understand them. The problem is these are the people that we care what they think about us. And sometimes these are the hardest people to reach because we don't want them to judge us. We don't want them to think that we're judging them. It just gets kind of awkward. Am I going to lose this friendship? You see what I'm saying? We need the Holy Spirit to even reach the people that we like. <laughs> can, we be that, can we be that clear? It's, we, we need the Holy Spirit for all of this. And then you go to the last quadrant. There's people that are far away, but that are kind of like me. And generally speaking, England would kind of fall in that category. It's a country that has a similar uh, way of living to us. They have a similar language. I won't say the same language. I'll say a similar language. And, uh, you know, I think for us, when we were processing this call, we didn't know that we were called to missions because we didn't really know where England fit in everything. And so this was a way that God helped me understand where I fit in, in this whole call to missions thing. And, of course, they'd be mortified that I said that England was like America. But as countries go, they're, they're, they're kind of like America. So this is where we engage. Now, the cool part is, remember, pray, give, go. Through praying and through giving, you can be involved in all four quadrants at once. Pretty cool, huh? And that's why some people are like, well, should we reach Jerusalem first and before we reach the world? No, you can, through prayer and through giving, you can do it all at once. <laughs> it's fine. And then through going yourself, you can do at least two at once, your local area, and then every now and then you could go on a missions trip or maybe God will call you permanently overseas. The, the point is that we are engaged and we can be engaged in all of these things. So we've answered what does it look like to be engaged. We've answered where we engage. And and I, and I want to be clear, you know, what happens when we actually do invest in these quadrants? Simply, there is a harvest. When we sow, we will reap. So when there's been focused uh, attention, let's say in Africa, uh, England taught us how to send missionaries to Africa. Now, they didn't do it perfectly. You got tied with colonialism and various things. It's a whole other subject. I'm moving on. Um, but they, they invested, and then we invested. And now the center of global Christianity is Latin America and Africa. There's more Christians there than there are in there's more Christians there than there are in Europe or North America, and that's that's fine. But the issue is why didn't we keep the number of Christians high in North America and Europe? It's because we weren't investing in the close places. You see it really starkly in Europe. And I, I my, this is kind of my prophetic warning to us as the American church that we don't want to let it get that far before we engage. Each one of us has to be engaged in God's mission where we are. Last lens I'm going to ask us to look through today would be, here's the different modes of engaging in God's mission. That may sound kind of weird, but you'll see what I'm saying in a second. The first mode of engagement is what I would call incidental missions. And this is unplanned. It wasn't part of your, your daily planner of your day, but God brings you an opportunity a person that has a need, um, a coworker that just start, that shares just that they're really going through a rough time. Um, you know, you're, you didn't plan on it, but there was, you know, oh, there's, I have this opportunity to give to this 
pregnancy care center or whatever. There's just moments we don't plan for, but we have the opportunity. And we have to be open to these things. Um, you know, there was a, a woman that David Parks met. David Parks is the missionary that's in Bristol, England right now, and he told us this story. Um, and he said that he met a woman, they began talking, and she, she found out he was a pastor, and she said, am I allowed to come to your church? And he was confused by that. He said, of course, you're allowed to come to my church, but can I ask you why you asked if I'm here allowed to come to my church? It's a free country. And, uh, and she said, well, I, I'm a single mom. I have three kids, and I didn't attend church, but I just felt that we, I needed to. And my local church was so small, which is pretty normal. There was no kids' ministry. And, uh, but she heard that in the next town over, there was a church that had something for kids. So she brought her kids and herself to that church on a Sunday morning. She tried to check her kids in, and they said, where are you from? And she said, I'm from the next town over. And they said, we're not responsible for you. You can't check your kids in here. Now, there's reasons behind that. It has to do with culture and a parish mentality, and, you know, our, our city council taxes go to repair the roof of our church, not your church. It gets sticky. But the main point is, which what I believe God showed me, one time when I shared this story, he said, how many times have I brought somebody to you and your response was, I'm not responsible for you? I, I have something else I'm focused on right now. And I feel like for all of us, there's going to be incidental moments where God brings us people, and if we're not careful, we think, oh, I really am doing, need to do this instead, and we don't stop and take care of that need that was brought right to the body of, of Christ, but the body didn't move. So incidental missions is important. And some of you are very naturally flexible people. You'll, you'll just drop everything and talk to somebody or, or whatever, and that's great. Teach us planners, please, how to be like you, that we need, we need help. And speaking of planners, I'm going to give you your, your, your point. Intentional missions. This is for all of you planners out there. You can be intentional about it. You can plan to give sacrificially with your, with your spouse. You look at your budget. This is how we're going to give. Hey, I have a system for prayer. Here's my missionary cards that I'm going to go through and make sure I'm praying for all the missionaries. Or maybe you want to divide up your world in those four quadrants and pray that way. There's intentional ways to be involved. You can intentionally go as well. Sign up for that next missions trip whenever COVID allows. Sign up to be a part of your mission of your local church. Um, there's ways you can go yourself. But listen, the world is so lost. The world is so lost, it's not going to be won accidentally. And also, we're not smart enough to win it all with a plan. <laughs> you see why we need both? Incidental and intentional missions. Now, I'm going to bring one, one more mode. Before I get there, though, I want to point out something. I've seen a lot of head nods for most of you. I've seen a few scowls, but I won't point you out. <laughs> and... Most likely, what's, where you're at at this point in the sermon is you've given mental assent to what I've said. You understand, yeah, this is scriptural, this makes logical sense. May not have thought of about it that way, but this is pretty cool. But where you're at now subconsciously is thinking, well, you know what? Pastor Doug preached a great sermon last week, and I don't think I've applied that one yet. It's, it's this mode of like Christian obedience fatigue or like I'm adding something else to your Christian to-do list, but you haven't checked off those boxes this week anyway. And it just, it's this feeling of, I believe it, but the chances that I'm really going to apply this are pretty low. Although you wouldn't say that out loud. Although some of you are looking really uncomfortably at me right now, because I said it out loud. And that's why I want to give you this third mode of missions, because it's so important. You know, Jesus didn't just give us tasks to do, to add to our to-do list. He wanted to transform who we were on the inside. And that's why it's important to understand identity missions. It's 
not just about incidental, it's not just about intentional missions. It's about having an identity that allows all the to-dos to come out from a life that is rooted in Jesus. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we aren't connected to him, if we aren't getting his identity that he has for us, all the to-dos aren't going to happen. I mean, let me show this to you in Scripture. This is in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm living out of the New Living. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It'll also be on the screen. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So that's kind of our heading. We're talking about this new person life that's happened, that God's creating in each of us, okay? And all of this is a gift from God. Listen, your new identity is a gift. You don't have to do something to get a new identity. You hearing me? The new identity is a gift. You can accept it. Who brought, it's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, so there are to-dos, okay? He's given us a task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Thank the Lord. And he gave who? Us. Us, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So now here's the identity. So we are, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Do you realize the honor that you speak for Christ? The honor he's given you because he's transforming you into a new person that's, the, that's a new identity. And there's multiple things that our identity is. Our identity is a son or a daughter of God and there's different things. But in this case, we're talking about the identity of being Christ's ambassador. This is an identity. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents the goodwill of one kingdom in the territory of another kingdom. See that? I'll say it again. An ambassador is someone who represents the goodwill of one kingdom in the territory of another kingdom on a full-time basis. So, you know, let's look at America. If there's an ambassador of the United States that's in another country, they represent America and that country. Not only do they represent America, they represent the goodwill of America, right? They want, we, they want us to work together to, to, for trade and for flourishing of humankind and those kinds of things. At some point, if we ever would go to war with that country, the first thing we would do is recall our ambassador because we're no longer, there's no longer goodwill here. But we have not been recalled yet. You're all still here. We have not been recalled yet, which means, you know, when Jesus came, goodwill to all men, right? That's our job, to represent him on earth, the goodwill of the kingdom of God in this territory that we currently are. And it's on a full-time basis. An ambassador may have days off where they're not in the office, but if they're out in, in the town, people know they're the ambassador, and they have to think about the fact that I'm always representing America where we are. Same with us. I'm not saying that you're always going to be full-time as a missionary or whatever, but you always represent the kingdom of God no matter where you go. And this is why it's important, because you know what? Your workplace needs an ambassador. Your school needs an ambassador. Your neighborhood needs an ambassador of the kingdom of God in those places. And that's why I'm, I feel so called to challenge you that we need the entire body of Christ understanding their role as ambassadors. And now, once you start moving in that role, which is what we found for us, we, we felt called, first of all, to engage in the mission of our local church that we were already on staff with. 
but we sold our house and we moved close to our church because we wanted to be involved in the local ministry of our church, and we couldn't do it from a half hour away. And then as we sold our house and we moved, God's like, oh, by the way, England. That's a short version of the story. But I'm saying, get involved with where you're at. God's called you where you're at. And then he may, may call you somewhere else. And that's his business. He's the sending king. He's the state department, so to speak, okay? If I'm continuing the analogy. That's up to him. But your job is to make sure you're engaged as an ambassador, wherever you are. So last thing I'm going to ask you, of course, I haven't really asked you anything yet, have I? First thing I'm going to ask you is why aren't you engaging? Why aren't you engaging at the level you feel God's calling you to? Or maybe you're being challenged today, or maybe you've been challenged in the past. And as you can see, I'm giving you zero information. I'm just putting a blank on the screen. Because I don't know. But I bet you, whatever the reason is, has come to your mind while I've been talking today. It was the, yeah, but I'm not a speaker. It's the, yeah, but if I give more, I'm not going to have enough for my budget. It's the, yeah, but I don't know how to share the gospel. Whatever your yeah, but is, that's what's in the blank. And I think what happens with our objections is that we think our objections to ourselves And we think that God would not be pleased with those objections, and so we keep it to ourselves. We don't talk to anyone about it. We sure don't talk to God about it. If we do, it's kind of like a, well, please forgive me. (laughs) That's all we do. You know, I love the picture in Isaiah 37 of King Hezekiah. He got a letter sent to him, a threatening letter from the Syrians saying, we're going to come in and we're going to wipe all you out. And he took that letter And before he said a word, he brought it to the temple, and it says he spread it out before the Lord. He was obviously disappointed because it looks like the Assyrians were leaving. And then he gets a letter saying, we're going to be back and we're going to kill all of you. But instead of holding that to himself, he spread it out before the Lord. And that's my encouragement to you today. Whatever that blank is today, can you spread it out before the Lord and just say, God, this is where I'm at. Be honest with him. You know, your hang-up might be the fact that you don't even believe what I'm saying. You may not believe that God exists, or you may believe that there's some form of spirituality that exists, but uh, a, a biblical Jesus was probably a myth. Whatever, whatever your hang-up is on belief, I want to encourage you today, and this may sound weird, but I want you to spread that out before the Lord. You can, I don't, you can challenge him. You can be the God, if you're real, be my guest. Those God-if-you're-real prayers have a tendency of being answered. (laughs) And lay it out before him. Maybe your hang-up is some form of fear. Kind of mentioned that a little bit. Fear that you might lose your friendship. Fear that you won't have enough for yourself. Something like that. I know for us, we we experienced that fear when, uh, as we were applying to be missionaries, there was a point when they shared with us what our financial compensation would look like while we raised our funds. And it's a low number, but it makes sense because they don't want you to burn through all of your donations before you get to the field. It makes sense. So I'm not mad about it. I get it. But I looked at the number, and I looked at our student loans, and I looked at the number, and I looked at our budget, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know, God, if this is going to work. Now, looking back to two years ago at myself, I would say, oh, ye of little faith, God's taking care of everything. Why did you even, why did you even doubt? But two years ago, me was doubting. 
And I can't say we are people of great faith, but I can say we are people of great honesty about our lack of faith. <laughs> we were honest with God. That week we, we, we heard that news, it was like a gut punch. And we went to God, both my wife and I, and we're like, okay, God, you need to remind us again this is what you want us to do. Because I don't know if this is wise. Just tell us this is what you want us to do. And we were just honest with him about where we were at. That Sunday, a woman in the church handed my wife a check. And it was a very significant check, uh, a significant gift from their family to ours. It didn't solve all our financial issues or anything, but, but it was definitely sacrificial. And, and she said to my wife, I don't know what this is about, but I just felt that God told me this would mean something to you this week, that he wants to take care of you. And so the, the, the craziest thing, though, was that it was from the one family in our church that was British that handed us the check. And we went home that day, and we, we wept, and we, we thanked the Lord, and we said, okay, when we doubted, you, pro- you showed us that you can provide, and you can provide in such a unique way. That's the family you chose to bless us through. We were grateful. The last objection I'll share with you that might be an issue is some form of disappointment. Maybe you were engaged more in the past in ministry or in being engaged in God's mission, and it just didn't work out the way you wanted it to. You got hurt. You didn't see the results you wanted, and so now there's this kind of objection of, I've, I've been here before, I've surrendered to God before, and, you know, for us, it's been, this has been a tough year for everyone, so I'm not going to say we've had the roughest year. Um, I, I did have COVID in July of last year, and then um, in August, uh, just getting back out on the, the itineration trail, recovering. I couldn't even sing. My lungs were, so, were still recovering. Um, and we were driving home from a, a weekend of ministry, and we went through a thunderstorm, and we rolled our truck twice. All of us were in it, and we landed in the median between the two sides of the interstate, and water's pouring into the car because the windows were broken, and my wife calls 911, and they keep asking, where are you? And we didn't know where we were because we couldn't remember the last town we had passed and went back and forth for a while. And finally, uh, they said, are, are you in the Dodge Durango, which was our vehicle? So we said, yeah, that's us. And they said, okay, we know where you're at. So we assumed somebody called it in. So we go to the emergency room. Miraculously, we're okay. We're very sore, very bruised, but nothing, no major uh, injuries. And we knew that God preserved us. But when we got home that night, I was, I was hurt in more ways than one, and I was disappointed. It was like, God, we're doing what you want us to do. I'm just getting through COVID, and now this. We don't have a car to get to any of the services that we booked. Now, God provided the car. I'm not even telling you that story. It's a whole other story of God's provision. But I was, I was disappointed, and I was hurt, and I told God that. I even told him, you know what? I was in an accident a long time ago in New York. Oh, another story I don't have time for. In 2005, I was in an accident, and the first people on the scenes were pastors, so I felt like you were there, and it didn't feel like you were there with me this time. Now, obviously, God preserved us, but I was hurt, and when you're hurt, what do, what do we do? We say crazy things, but that was my accusation. God, it didn't feel like you were there. The next morning, another pastor contacted us from Missouri, and he said, uh, were you between these two towns when the accident happened? And we said, yeah. And he said, I was the one that witnessed your accident. He was coming the opposite direction on the interstate with zero visibility. He saw our car roll twice, and he said, I didn't, you landed much softer than you should have. 
And he said, I pulled over, I called 911, I was praying for you until the emergency workers arrived. Now, the odds that the one of our supporting pastors, who is 50 miles from home, was the one person to witness our accident coming the opposite direction in a thunderstorm. And that was the one thing I accused God of not providing was a pastor on the scene. Can you be honest with God today? Can you be honest with God today about your hang-up? Can you spread it out before him and let him guide you to being engaged in his mission? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you, God, that you have called each one of them to be your ambassador, that you are giving them a new life. You are transforming them into a new identity as your ambassador to this earth. You're also transforming them into a son or a daughter of the king. And God, I pray that they would release all of the pretensions, all of the things they think they should be doing but they're not doing, that they would just spread it out before you and say, God, just transform me. Make me a new person so that the fruit of my life is the natural engagement in your mission. I pray that right now they would have the courage to spread out those objections before you, whether they're fears or disappointments or lack of belief, whatever they are. I'm just going to give you a moment, if you can just, in, in, in your honesty of your heart, just spread those things out before your king. God, I thank you that you've heard these things. You know, you already knew them, but you just wanted us to be honest with you. And I pray that you would now come through in miraculous ways this week to prove that you've heard and you're with us in each heart that's in this place. God, I pray that you would equip everyone here for the good works that you've called them to do. Most, and the, and the equipment that is needed may, might be funds, the equipment might be skills of training, but most importantly, we know the equipping is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would anoint each one of them to do all the good works that you prepared for them in advance to do. God, I also pray that, that, that Jesus, you would produce in them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, every good thing that pleases you. Let, that, that the fruit of their life would please you in everything they do, say, and think. But God, that's something that's a gift from you, and we ask for it to be imparted right now and that we would cooperate with that gift. God, I thank you for this body of believers. And as I used the analogy earlier, I pray that they would be a body that moves at the direction of the head, and you are the head. And I pray that they would reach this city with the kingdom. God, I know I said, Jesus, you're not here, but really what's true is that, Jesus, you are here because they are here. You are in Syracuse because they are in Syracuse. And you are in every mission field that they support because they are there with their investments. Thank you, Jesus. Move us with the power of your spirit to win this world for you. We pray for our nation and every nation around the world that every nation, tribe, and tongue would bow their knee before the King of Kings that loves us and gave his life for us. We are your ransomed church. And we're grateful. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, amen. So be it.